good early afternoon. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 35, we are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you. It might take us a while, but uh, we will get to you. I'm just looking at the numbers. Okay. Uh, as you can see today, everything's a little different. My internet, uh, my guest uh, emailed shortly, like about three, three, four minutes before the show. Her husband emailed actually saying she was ill, so she won't be available. And my internet, I no sooner got things going. We were pretty much, let me get this kind of settled. I don't want to lose you guys and have it come tumbling down. There we go. We were pretty much like three minutes into the show and my internet went down, just gone. So I'm on my, I'm, I'm on AT&T internet right now on my cell phone. So we're doing that. My backup, never had to use my backup before. So it's kind of cool to get the opportunity to actually use my backup. It gives you a chance to actually look at my studio from a different angle. So uh, we're going to be reading today from, from um, uh, Rebecca Putnam's book. I'm probably crooked. I can see I'm a little off here, but I can't help that because I have to balance off. It's even worse, isn't it? I have to balance on a box here. So I'm just trying to get the right angle to get the right. There we go. That's about as good as I can do. I'm crooked. I'm crooked. Life goes on, right? <laughs> like everything else that's gone wrong. And it's not just me out. This is a... a, a statewide thing with Comcast because Marisa, who's my producer, also has Xfinity Comcast. She's out. So here we are today and uh, let me get the book. The book's ready to go. So if you're watching from Facebook, I know it's been crazy today. If you're watching from Facebook, please, and you like what you hear with this book today, please be sure to hit that like and follow button for me. I'm looking for followers and that means even my personal page and my California my, my, my California Haunts Ghostly Events page. If you're watching from YouTube, let's see if I can direct this now. Yeah. See how everything's opposite here. It's just crazy. Right there in that bottom right-hand corner, you will see the uh, little ghost with the magnifying glass, and that is our mascot. And if you click on him, a little red subscribe button will come up, and you, uh, you can subscribe to our videos. We have more than 480 videos sitting over there, and they're all different topics. I'm a journalist, and I, I hate being on the same type of topic all the time. So, yeah, so you guys will find, we'll see different topics in there, ranging anywhere from paranormal to uh, family abuse and things like that. So I think there's something, a little something for everybody, okay? Um, if you're watching from Twitch, same thing, you can hit that like button and follow button on Twitch. And anybody that's come over from TikTok, unfortunately, this doesn't usually happen, but my internet took a dump. So this is where we're at. I'm on my, I'm on my iPhone doing this. So. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So, and, then, and for those of you on Facebook that want to follow on YouTube, you can do that at youtube.com forward, forward slash at California Hunts Radio. All right. So tonight, uh, today, like I said, we've had two things go on. It's almost like it's Friday the 13th, right? I got an email from the guest husband saying that she's ill, can't make it. And then my internet committed suicide or died. So I'm going to go ahead and read from uh, the to the Pittman book on the Salem witch trials, and then we'll continue our day and go from there. Okay. So I don't see the internet coming up anytime soon. So I'm just, I'm going to keep trying. So I'm not going to keep trying anymore. We'll just get the show going. So here we go. Let me get in this book here. And uh, hopefully this doesn't die. Never rains, but it pours. So if you are making comments, I cannot see them because they're on the phone. It's worse now because it's real tiny for me, but it's on the phone. I'm just really glad that I have a backup. This is why 
I have two two types of internet in my house. I have Xfinity and I have my my cell phone, which is AT and T, so I can do this kind of thing. Okay, so it is now eleven eleven. So hopefully I can queue up the ending on this too. I don't know what I can queue up and what I can't queue up with this. So for everything, there's a first and last time. Here we go. April brings new victims and torments. Rebecca Nurse's spectral shape was far more active than the elderly matron had been for decades. It flew in and out of homes with shock, with shock and regularity. Abigail was going to have another of the village denizens. Hang on, let me make sure I'm in the right spot. Yeah. Abigail was going to have was going after another of the village denizens, she claimed. Stephen Bitford, a Salem village farmer, awoke to find Rebecca Nurse, along with Elizabeth and John Proctor's spirits, inside his room. He claimed to have suffered a very great pain in the neck and could not only stir my head nor speak a word. Mary Warren seemed to be the only one of the group of accusers that was punished for her outcries against her neighbors. John Proctor would brook none of her foolishness. After, after bearing her home from the meeting house examination of Rebecca Nurse and Dorcas Good, he carried out his threats and piled on the work. He may have beat her, for Mary had sudden change of heart. He accused her of crying. He, he accused her of crying out against innocent persons. She seized her fists and tacked a note to the meeting house board outside, asking the church members to share with their prayers of gratitude that she had been delivered from Satan and was no longer suffering attacks. Her relief was short-lived. Reverend Paris read her note to the congregation on Sunday, April 3rd. The villagers questioned Mary after church, asking what had brought forth the change. She answered, the afflicted persons did, but disassemble. She may have hoped that, listening the, that, the, that the listening crowd would see the statement as the girls had been led astray by false visions from Satan and that they were confused. The very definition of dissemble is to hide under false appearance or to simulate. But it can also mean to conceal facts under pretense. The mumblings of the crowd at her statement must have been ones of astonishment. What did this mean? There were people in jail. The horror of the other afflicted people at being found out would have been chilling. What if Mary went further and admitted they were faking their symptoms? There was only one thing to do. The others put forth their own remedy for, for Mary's sudden healing. She must have signed the devil's book. Now that she had joined his ranks, the witches had no need to torment her any longer. If Mary's declaration that she had been healed caused concern among the accusers, it did not show in Abigail's continued outbursts. Perhaps to include Mary Warren's employers as possible covenant of witches running the Proctor's Tavern, Abigail experienced not only torture by Elizabeth Proctor's hand, but of John's as well. Are you come too? She cried of John. You can pinch as well as your wife. Enough was enough. Mary Walcott's torments had prompted her father, Captain John Walcott, along with Nathaniel Ingersoll, who was his nephew and Mary Walcott's relative, to ride to Salem Town and swear out complaints against Sarah Cloyce, who was Rebecca Nurse's sister, and Elizabeth Proctor, who was pregnant at the time. The document accused the two women of torturing not only Mary Walcott, but Abigail Williams, Ann Putnam Jr., John Indian, and Mercy Lewis, who was Sarah Cloyce's niece. The arrest warrants were drawn up by Hawthorne. Okay, I'm sorry. The arrest warrants were drawn up by Hawthorne and Corwin on April 3rd, 1692. They may have felt control of the situation slipping away as more names as suspected witches crossed their deaths. 
They decided to consult with a higher authority in Boston before serving the warrants. It was obvious the town members with an agenda had brushed off Mary Warren's dis dissembling account and were going ahead with the witch hunt. In fact, reports of Sarah Cloyce's specter, along with those of Rebecca Nurse and Martha and Giles Corey, and even Dr. Griggs' wife, Rachel, were flooding in. Benjamin Gould had awakened to see his neighbors, the Corey, standing by his bed staring at him. A sharp pain in his foot and sides followed. By April 8th, Hawthorne and Cor Corwin took action. Boston had offered to send constituents of the Governor's Council of Assistance to be present at the next examination. Salem Town was selected for this meeting. The drawn-up warrants for Sarah Cloyce and Elizabeth Proctor were issued. Rebecca Nurse's family rallied around Sarah Cloyce as they had Rebecca, even before the warrants had gone out. On March 28th, Daniel Elliott, Cloyce's steps stepson-in-law, and William Ray William Raymond from Beverly had been visiting the Ingersolls ordinary and found okay, okay Ingersolls had been visiting Ingersolls ordinary and found some of the afflicted girls there. They questioned the girls about the visions and afflictions they had endured. Mrs. Ingersoll was present and no doubt interested to hear their answers, as she was one who who doubted their fits. William Raymond mentioned that Elizabeth Proctor's name had come up as one now afflicting the girls. Mrs. Ingersoll announced she could not believe it. Right on cue, one of the girls yelled, there's Goody Proctor. The visitors looked at the empty space she pointed to. Old witch, cried another. I'll have her hang. The audacious announcement resulted in tempers flashing among those who were listening to the two girls. Mrs. Ingersoll scolded them. Raymond out and out told the girls he thought they were lying. They seemed to make a jest of it he reported later. This was new for the girls. They had always found a receptive crowd at Ingersoll's, people who hung on their every word and sympathized with their torments. But now, these adults were angry and accusing them of fakery. Nervously, one of the girls tried to shrug it off. She did it for sport. They must have some sport, the report said later, repeating the girls' words. Even then, along with Mary Warren's confession that day, disassemble, that they disassembled. The trials went on. In fact, the list of accused witches would reach astonishing numbers. Again, I apologize for this. The internet has gone down. So I see you guys are there. So even then, along with Mary Warren's confession, they then disassembled or dissembled. The trials went on. In fact, the list of accused witches would reach astonishing numbers. Here's a complaint of Jonathan Walcott and Nathaniel Ingersoll, Elizabeth Proctor, and Sarah Cloyce. Wow, does my face get that white when I read? I never look up. <laughs> okay, April 4th, 1692. This 4th April, 1692, Captain Jonathan Walcott and Lieutenant Nathaniel Ingersoll Ingerson personally appeared before us and exhibited their complaint in behalf of their majesties for themselves and several of their, uh, of their neighbors against Sarah Cloyce, wife of Peter Cloyce, of Salem Village, and Elizabeth Proctor, the wife of J.N.O. Proctor, of Salem for high suspicion of several acts of witchcraft done or committed by them upon the bodies of Abigail Williams and John Indian of the family of Mr. Sam Paris and Mary Walcott, daughter of one of the complainants, and Ann Putnam and Mercy Lewis of the family of Thomas Putnam, whereby great hurt and damage 
hath been done to the bodies of said persons. Guess I figured that one out. And therefore crave justice. Walcott Ingersoll's comes. Essex County Court Archives, Salem. Witchcraft, Volume 1, Number 96. Warrant for the apprehension of Sarah Proctor and Sarah Cloyce and officers returned. April 4th, 1692. There being complaint this day made before us by Captain John Walcott and Lieutenant Nathaniel Ingersoll, both of Salem Village, in behalf of their majesties for themselves and also for several of the neighbors, again, oh, against Sarah Cloyce, the wife of Peter Cloyce of Salem Village, and Elizabeth Proctor, the wife of John Proctor of Salem Farms, for high, sus for high suspicion of, sun of sundry acts of witchcraft. Done or committed, done or committed, done spelled D-O-N-N-E, this gives you an idea, done or committed by them upon the bodies of Abigail Williams, John Indian, both of Mr. Sam Paris's family of Salem Village, and Mary Walcott, daughter of one of the above said complainants, and Anne Putnam, and Mercy Lewis of the family of, of Thomas Putnam of Salem Village, whereby great hurt and damage hath been done to the bodies of said persons above named there, before crave justice. You are therefore in their majesty's names, hereby required to apprehend and bring before us Sarah Cloyce, the wife of Peter Cloyce of Salem Village, and Elizabeth Proctor, the wife of John Proctor of Salem Farms, on Monday, on Monday morning, next being the 11th day of, the, of, the, uh, of this instant April, about 11 of the clock. <laughs> At the public meeting, at the public meeting house in the town, in order to their okay, a second, in order to their examination relating to the premises above, and here of you are not to fail. Dated Salem eighth, sixteen ninety two, to George Herrick Marshall, John Hawthorne, of the County of Essex, Jonathan Corwin assists. Okay, Ingersoll's Tavern in the meeting house continued to be the preferred scene for spectral attacks. Both places were, after all, a gathering place where there was sure to be a crowd. Only two days after the arrest warrant had gone out for Elizabeth Proctor and Sarah Cloyce, John Indian screamed out during the Sabbath meeting that Cloyce's specter had just bitten him and drawn blood. It was not a bad ploy for distancing himself from all the talk of the diabolic man with dark skin. Ingersoll's is always filled after the services. Mercy Lewis suddenly fell to the floor at the tavern in a fit. Standing nearby was Ephraim Sheldon, who had also escaped Maine's Indian attacks along with Mercy. He claimed she cried out that it was Goody Cloyce attacking her. But when Mercy calmed down, she denied she had named Cloyce. Others weren't ready to let a good seizure go. Impressed the girl for a name of the specter attacking her. Was it Goody Nurse? Goody Corey? Goody Cloyce? Mercy persisted in saying she had seen nobody just as she had denied saying Elizabeth Proctor had attacked her at the Putnam's, although Thomas and Anne Sr. claimed she did. Abigail decided to take over and interpret. She said she had seen <clears throat> all three specters attacking Mercy and threw in Sarah Goods as a bonus. Jeez, I'm not having a good day at all, am I? <clears throat> Nothing's working today, you notice that? Elizabeth Proctor and Sarah Cloyce were transferred to Salem Town's Meeting House on April 11, 1692, to stand before the magistrates of the afflicted and the afflicted. The villagers left their chores, donned coats, cloaks, and hats, and headed toward the seaport. The seven-mile trip to the harbor town that had once caused an outcry for its distance for Sunday services 
and watchtower duty was now traversed with eagerness. There was to be another trial, this time with Boston dignitaries and residents. Chapter 15 Oh, you are a grievous liar. Reverend Samuel Parris took his seat in the Salem Town Meeting House and readied himself to take down the take down the proceedings of the Inquisitions in Sarah Cloyce's and Elizabeth Proctor's accusations of witchcraft. He stacked his parchment sheets and pulled the four assistants of the Governor's Council from Boston. James Russell, Isaac Addington, Samuel Seawall, and Samuel Appleton. They took their seats, but saved the two dominant places for John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin, who would, once again, act as judges. Reverend Nicholas Noyes opened the proceedings with a prayer. At its conclusion, the afflicted persons readied themselves. Elizabeth Hubbard chose to sit trance-like and stare at nothing in particular. She had been the first to name Elizabeth Proctor. Was she now regretting it as the weight of a legal proceeding? The accused possible incarceration and execution hung in the balance? A trance would, would, would excuse her from putting any damning words on paper. It appears the two accused women were together in the room rather than separated and brought in one at a time, as had been previously done. The following account by Samuel Paris seems to show their testimonies and those of the witnesses were grouped. Here we go. Examination of Sarah Cloyce and Elizabeth Proctor, April 11th, 1692. At a court held Salem, 11th April. Okay, see, I ran them off. <clears throat> at, a, at a court held at Salem, 11th April, 1692, by the honored Thomas Danforth, Deputy Governor, Hugh John Indian, who hurt you? A, including Proctor. A, okay, must be Abigail. Goody Proctor first, and then Goody Cloyce. Q. Question. What did she do to you? A. She brought the book to me. Q. This is John John Indian. Tell the truth. Who hurt you? Have you been hurt? Answer. The first was a gentlewoman. I saw. Q. Who next? Answer. Good, Goody Cloyce. Question. But who hurt you next? Answer, Goody Proctor. Question, what did she do to you? Answer, she choked me and brought the book. Question, how often did she come to torment you? Answer, a good many times, she and Goody Cloyce. Question, do they come to you in the night as well as the day? Answer, they come most in the day. Question, who? Answer, Goody Cloyce and Goody Proctor. Question, where did she take hold of you? Answer, Upon my throat, to stop my breath. Question. Do you know Goody Cloyce and Goody Proctor? Answer. Yes. Here is Goody Cloyce. Cloyce, when did I hurt thee? Answer. A great many times. Cloyce. Oh, you are a grievous liar. Question. What did this Goody Cloyce do to you? Answer. She pinched a bit. Oh, she pinched and bit me till the blood came. Question. How long since this woman came and hurt you? Answer. Yesterday at meeting. Question. At any time before? Answer. Yes, a great many times. Question. Mary Walcott, who hurt you? Answer. Goody Cloyce. Question. What did she do to you? Answer. She hurt me. Question. Did she bring the book? 
Answer. Yes. Question. What, what was you to do with it? Answer. To touch it and be well. Then she fell into a fit. Question. Does she come, come alone? Answer. Sometimes alone and sometimes in company with Goody Nurse and Goody Corey and a great many I do not know. Then she fell into a fit again. Question. Abigail Williams. Okay, Abigail Williams. Did you see a com did you see a company at Mr. Paris's house eat and eat, eat and drink? Answer. Yes, sir. That was their sacrament. Question. How many were there? Answer. About fifty. And Goody Cloyce and Goody Good were, were were their deacons. Question. What was it? Answer. They said it was our blood, and they had it twice that day. Question. Mary Walcott. Have you seen a white man? Yes, sir. A great many answer. A great many times. Question. What sort of man was he? Answer. A fine grave man, and when he came, he made all the witches to tremble. Abigail Williams. <clears throat> Abigail Williams confirmed confirmed the same, and they had such a sight at Deacon Ingersoll's. Question. Who was at Deacon Ingersoll's then? Answer. Goody Cloyce, Goody Nurse, Goody Corey, and Goody Good. Then Sarah Cloyce, Cloyce asked for water and sat down as one sees with, the, with, with a dying fainting fit, and several of the afflicted fell into fits, and some of them cried out, Oh, her spirit is gone to prison to her sister nurse. Question, Elizabeth Proctor. I understand wherever you are charged, viz, to be guilty of sundry acts of witchcraft. What say you to it? Speak the truth. And so you that are afflicted, you must speak the truth, as you will answer it before God in another day. Mary Walcott, doth this woman hurt you? Answer, I never saw her, so as to be hurt by her. Question, Mary Lewis, does she hurt you? Her mouth was stopped. Question, Ann Putnam, does she hurt you? She could not speak. Question, Abigail Williams, does she hurt you? Her hand was thrust into her own mouth. Question. John, does she hurt you? Answer. This is the woman that came in her shift and choked me. Question. Did she ever bring the book? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. What to do? Answer. To write. Question. What, this woman? Answer. Yes. Yes, sir. Question. Are you sure of it? Answer. Yes, sir. Again, Abigail Williams and Ann Putnam were spoke by the court, but neither of them could make any answer. By reason of dumbness or the fits. Question. What do you say, Goody Proctor, to these things? Answer. I take God in heaven to be my witness, that I know nothing of it, no more than the child unborn. <clears throat> Question. Ann Putnam. Doth this woman hurt you? Answer. Yes, sir. A great many times. Then the second, the, the, then the accused looked upon them, and they fell into fits. Question. Does she, does, does, does she, she does not bring the book to you, does she? Answer, yes, sir, often. And say she hath made her maid set her hand to it. Question, Abigail Williams, does this woman hurt you? Answer, yes, sir, often. Question, does she bring the book to you? Answer, yes. Question, what would she have you do with it? Answer, to write in it and I shall be well. Did you not, said Abigail, tell me that your maid had written, Proctor, Dear child, <clears throat> it is not so. There is another judgment, dear child. Then Abigail and Anne had fits. By and by they cried out, Look you there, 
Look, you there, is Goody Proctor upon the beam. By and by, both of them cried out of Goodman, <coughs> cried out of Goodman Proctor himself and said he was a wizard. Immediately, many, if not all the bewitched, had grievous fits. Question, Ann Putman, Ann Putman, who hurt you? Answer, Goody Proctor and his wife, too. Afterwards, some of the afflicted cried. There was Proctor going to take up Mrs. Pope's feet. And her feet were immediately taken up. Question. What do you say, <clears throat> Goodman Proctor, to these things? Answer. I know not. I'm innocent. Abigail Williams cried out. There is Goodman Proctor going to Mrs. Pope. And immediately, said Pope, fell into a fit. You see, the devil will deceive you. The children could see what, what, what was going to... What, what, what you was going to do before the woman was hurt. I would advise you to, to repent, for the devil is bringing you out. Abigail Williams cried out again. There is Goodman Proctor, going to hurt Goody Bibber. And immediately, Goody Bibber fell into a fit. There was the like of Mary Walcott and divers, and divers others. Benjamin Gould gave, <clears throat> gave in his testimony that he had seen Goodman Corey and his wife Proctor and his wife Goody Cloyce, Goody Nurse, and Goody Griggs in his chamber last Thursday night. Elizabeth Hubbard was in a trance during the whole examination. During the examination of Elizabeth Proctor, Abigail Williams and Ann Put Putman both made offer to strike and said Proctor. And when Abigail's hand came near, it opened, whereas it was made up into a fist before, and came down and came done exceedingly lightly as it drew near to said Proctor, and at length, with open and extended fingers, touched Proctor's hood very lightly. Immediately, Abigail cried out. Her fingers, her fingers burned. And Ann Putman took on most grievously <laughs> of her head and sunk down. Salem, April 11, 1692. Mr. Samuel Paris was desired by the Honorable Thomas Danforth, Deputy Governor and the Council to take in writing the aforesaid examinations and accordingly took and delivered them in, in and upon hearing the same and seeing what was then seen together with the charge of the afflicted persons, were by the advice of the council all committed by us, John Hawthorne, John Corwin, assistants. <clears throat> Thomas Hutchinson, History of Massachusetts Bay, Volume 2. Council record pertaining to Sarah Cloyce, Martha Corey, Dorothy Good, Rebecca Nurse, Elizabeth Proctor, and John Proctor. April 11th, 1692. <clears throat> Excuse me for a second. Okay. Salem and a council held at Salem at present April 11th, 1692. Thomas Danforth, Esquire, Department Governor. James Russell. Major, I think it's Major. I don't know if this is right. Sam Appleton, John Hawthorne, Captain Samuel Seawall, Isaac Addington, Jonathan Corwin and John Proctor of Salem Farms being then personally present was by Abigail Williams and Anna Putnam charged with several acts of witchcraft by him committed on the person of Mrs. Pope, the wife of Mr. Joseph Pope and others who were at said time accordingly afflicted apparent to all. Likewise, Marcy Lewis and something caught charged said John Proctor at said time upon which said J.N.O. Proctor, no clue, and his wife and Sarah Cloyce were all committed to prison per advice of the council. Also, further information being given 
against uh, Juno Proctor. Say Juno, I'll say Juno Proctor because it's J-N-O. I don't know. By Mr. Samuel Paris. April 12th, as appears. April 12, 1692, John Proctor and Elizabeth Proctor, his wife, and Sarah Cloyce, also Rebecca Nurse, Martha Corey, and Dorothy Good were sent to Boston Goal per Marshal Geo Herrick upon high suspicion as above. John Proctor received unwanted attention in his wife's examination that he had not expected. After Ann Putnam Jr. named Goodman Proctor and his wife, too, as the ones hurting her, the umbrella of suspicion began hovering above John's head. Others testified against him, and he was lumped in with his wife in Goody Cloyce and taken to the Salem jail around the corner from the meeting house. Those who had made the trip from the village may have been disappointed that the Inquisition was shorter than usual. At one point, during the questioning of Cloyce and Goody Proctor, the Lord's Prayer test was administered. The women were asked to repeat the prayer in front of the congregation. It was believed a witch could not recite the sacred prayer perfectly. One of the two accused, it is not said which one, fumbled, saying, Deliver us from all evil, instead of Deliver us from evil. Another mistake was made by saying, Hallowed is thy name, instead of Hallowed is his name. The word hollow appeared as an affront to the sacred deity. It is also rumored that John Proctor muttered during the proceedings against John Indian when the man was testifying against his wife. I'll beat the devil out of him, he reportedly said, if I get him in my custody. Statements such as these did Proctor few favors. He was in enemy territory. The following morning, April 12th, John Proctor was to be questioned in Salem Town while Samuel Paris took notes. A dog was reclining beneath the table where Paris sat. Marshal George Herrick left to bring Proctor over from the jail for his interrogation. Paris took the opportunity to put his notes <clears throat> from the previous day in order. His hopes were dashed when a number of the afflicted fell into fits. As Mary Walcott, Abigail Williams, and John Indian entered the meeting room, they screamed. There is Goodman Proctor. There is Goodman Proctor in the magistrate's lap. Abigail screamed and fell to the floor in convulsions. Mary Walcott took up a ball of yarn and quietly began knitting. Only after one of the men asked her if she too saw the specter of Proctor, who had yet to be brought into the room from jail, did she softly answer that she too saw him sitting in the magistrate's lap. John Indian suddenly shouted for the dog resting beneath the table <clears throat> to run away for Goodman Proctor was on his back. He stared off into space and claimed he saw the specter of Susan Cloyce, of Sarah Cloyce. Oh, you old witch, he yelled, and fell into such, a into such terrific fits that three men failed to restrain him. The others joined in with great shrieks and convulsions. Mary Walcott, still calmly knitting quietly, said it was John Proctor behind it all, along with his wife and Goody Cloyce. The hysteria caused by John Indian and Abigail Williams was so great that they were led from the room so that Paris could try to ready himself for the next proceeding. I met with nothing but an eruption, he wrote of the entire episode. Mary Walcott, who was still seated calmly knitting away, had been silent. Just as Paris wrapped up his notes, she gave a tiny yelp and said, There, Goody Cloyce has pinched me now. The pinch seemed to awaken her to her duties, for she suddenly yelled, Oh, yonder is Goodman Proctor and his wife, and Goody Nurse, and Goody Corey, and Goody Cloyce, and Good's child. 
Oh, Goodman, Proctor is going to choke me. She grabbed at her throat and invisible hands and made frightening gagging sounds. Her words had been a roll call for the accused witches, a reminder of those who should hang there, who should hang. There was nothing else in the records to show the proceedings against John Proctor other than he was held over in Salem jail and taken away to Boston prison. With both Proctors in jail, their household was flung in instant disarray. The youngest child there was but three years old. John's son from a previous marriage, Benjamin Proctor, 33 years old, became their guardian. Their maid, Mary Warren, was useless during her fits and time away testifying against witches. The young man later said that he helped bring up all my father's children by all his wives, one after another. The Proctor's time in Salem jail was a short one. The following morning, they were lowered onto a cart along with little Dorcas Good, Rebecca Nurse, and Martha Corey for their trip to Boston, <clears throat> to the Boston prison. Giles Corey was allowed to ride next to his wife, which shows his love for the woman he had helped indict. Without a wife at home, he had faced the harsh reality of running a farm without her help. His guilt was an unbridled tongue. His guilt and an unbridled tongue was, no doubt, weighing on him as well. He rode with her to the ferry and stopped Martha Corey. Would never again. He rode with her to the ferry and stopped. Martha Corey would never again walk through the door to into her home. She would never tongue lash him again or criticize his method of praying. It wouldn't matter for long, as Giles himself was soon on, soon on the radar of those hunting for witches. The ride back to Salem Village from the hearings in town was not uneventful. John Indian riding behind a man on horseback suddenly declared his hands were bound with invisible rope. He sunk his teeth into the shirt of the man riding in front of him in an effort to hold on. Edward Bishop, riding beside them, had had enough. He had witnessed John having fits at Salem Inn earlier in the day and had beaten him in an effort to end the fakery. He and Proctor were of a like mind that the Indian was only joining in with the others for the notoriety. As John held on to the rider's shirt with his teeth, Bishop reached out and whacked his bound hands with a stick. John yelped and said he wouldn't do it again. Bishop announced in disgust that he didn't doubt it and said he could end this nonsense now if he could likewise beat it out of all the afflicted persons. It was a declaration that would soon see his name on the list of witches. Mary Walcott, Dr. Griggs' niece, likewise was followed home from the hearing by witches. For the first time, she witnessed the specter of Elizabeth Proctor. Mary was riding behind her, brother Jonathan, and said Proctor's shape followed them all the way from Getty's Tavern in Singham Town until her brother stopped at Philip's Ordinary for a drink, a distance of some miles. The sun was sinking as the party rode home, shadows slipping from the trees to run the truncated shapes across the rutted ground. Was that Elizabeth Proctor cackling from the boughs overhead? That hulking shape at the side of the road, a boulder, a boulder or a witch in wait. Perhaps it was Goody Proctor who had bound John Indian's wrists at the exact time hers were shackled in jail. Sheriff George Corwin. With both Proctors in jail, a feat that had not been that had not presented itself before, Sheriff George Corwin took action. While confiscating a convicted person's effects after a proper trial and conviction were considered legal in Massachusetts confiscating their property, only after an inquisition was not. The Proctors were still due their proper trial and were awaiting a charter to arrive from England to give them one. 
Without preamble, George Corwin, the 25-year-old nephew of Judge Jonathan Corwin, and son-in-law to Justice Bartholomew Gedney, rode over to the Proctor farm and, in a word, began looting it. His name would be forever linked with his greed and heartlessness during the 1692-93 witch trial tragedy. As Mary Warren and as Mary Warren, the Proctor children, and Benjamin Proctor watched helplessly, Corwin came to their house and seized all the goods, provisions, and cattle that he could come at, and sold some of the cattle at half price, and killed others and put them up for the West Indies. Throughout the throughout the beer, uh, threw the beer out of the barrel and carted away the barrel, emptied a pot of broth, and took away the pot and left nothing for the support of the children. It was the actions that Dickens' novels and nightmares were made of. For Mary Warren, who had played a part in the accusation and gossip concerning her employers, it was it was a really it was it was a reality too horrible to absorb. Mary Warren. Mary Warren, the Proctor's maid, had not been in attendance the morning of April eleventh, as her mistress mistress and master were ordered to jail. She had remained at home, no longer one of the afflicted after her revelation that she had been saved. Her note, po- her note posted to the Salem Village Meeting House Community Board, and later read aloud in church by Reverend Paris, had led to much discussion and confusion among the villagers. For the afflicted girls, it had been the ultimate betrayal. If people believed, as Mary had said, that the girls dis- dissembled, okay, the girls dissembled, I just did something weird on this, hang on, cancel. That the girls assembled, okay, okay. If people believed, as Mary had said, that the girls assembled, they were in deep trouble. It was instead Mary whose troubles were just beginning. Chapter 16 Bishop Hobbs, Corey, and Warren. The following day, April 13, 1692, a Wednesday, saw no respite from the specters of jail witches. Obviously, the ferry ride across the water from Salem to Boston's jail had not broken the witch's hold on Salem Village. Water was reportedly the purest element on earth, and therefore witches could not survive it, as witnessed in the swimming of the witch test. Even in modern day, people struggling with possession and demonic attacks have moved away across rivers and oceans in an attempt to leave and afflict the afflicted behind. One such story made it to the big screen, The Entity, is based on a true story of Doris Beether, a single mother of four, living in Culver City, California, who was repeatedly attacked and raped by a demon. When every stratagem failed to rid herself of the entity, she finally moved, hoping that crossing water would end her terror. It didn't. The demon followed her. In Salem Village that torturous spring, Anne Putnam Jr., Mary Walcott, Mercy Lewis, and Elizabeth Hubbard all reported being pinched, choked, and beaten by Rebecca Nurse, Martha Corey, and Elizabeth Proctor. Giles Corey's name was slandered as well, as he reportedly beat Mercy Lewis so badly she feared her back would break. Constable John Putnam had once remarked that he was not surprised to see Rebecca Nurse and her sister Sarah Coyce arrested, as everyone knew their mother, jo- Joanna Town, had always been suspected of being a witch. Soon after, he suffered with fits, and on April 13th, his two-month-old daughter began convulsing. He and his wife Hannah feared it was the revenge of the town sisters, nurse and coys, for John Putnam's muttering against them. The baby died two days later. 
The afflicted girls were in need of flesh blood. A fresh, a flesh blood. They had carried out their goal. The witches were in jail. They added three more names mid-April. That of Bridget Bishop, Mary Warren, and Abigail Hobbs. A strange young woman from Topsfield who had begun tormenting Ann Putnam Jr. Abigail Hobbs was a 14-year-old refugee from the Casco Bay slaughter that Mercy Lewis had also witnessed. The two girls may have been distantly related by their aunt's mother's-in-law. There was no doubt they knew one another in the small Falmel community. There was also no doubt of where Abigail Hobbs's name was first muttered, the home of Thomas Putnam Jr., where Mercy Lewis resided as maid. It was Ann Putnam Jr. who first accused Hobbs of attacking her. The girl's wild reputation did little to help her situation. Deliverance Hobbs, Abigail's stepmother, had lost control of her ward. Abigail was wild and rebellious. She roamed the woods at night, when most feared to do so. She talked back to her stepmother and reportedly flipped baptismal water into her face. For years, she had been declaring she had signed, she had signed, with, signed the devil's book, nicknaming him Old Nick. Her joy was to shock and show disdain for the modalities of Puritan structured community. Her stepmother had said she little thought to be mother of such a daughter. Hobbs' specter reportedly choked and pinched Mercy Lewis, Mary Wolcott, Ann Putman, and Elizabeth Hubbard for not signing the book for the devil. Meanwhile, Giles Corey and Mary Warren's specters were still active. On cue, Ezekiel Cheever and John Putnam Jr. wrote out official complaints against Giles Corey, Bridget Bishop, Mary Warren, and Abigail. Hobbs and Abigail Hobbs for their attacks on the aforementioned girls. Marshal George Herrick, who must have wondered at that time if he would eventually arrest the entire village of Salem, arrested the four newly named witches and took them to, to Ingersoll's that very day. It was April 18, 1862. There, being complaint this day made before us by Ezekiel Cheevers and John Putnam Jr., both of Salem Village, Yeoman, in behalf of their majesties, for themselves and for their neighbors, against Giles Corey and Mary Warren, both of Salem Farms, and Abigail Hobbs, the daughter of William Hobbs, of the town of Topsfield, and Bridget Bishop, the wife of Edward Bishop, of Salem Sawyer, for high suspicion of sundry acts of witchcraft, done and committed by them, upon the bodies of Anne Putnam, Marcy Lewis, and Abigail Williams, and Mary Walcott, and Elizabeth Hubert of Salem Village, whereby great hurt and damage hath been done to the bodies of said persons above name, therefore crave justice. You are therefore in their, in, their, in, their, in, their, in their majesty's names hereby required to apprehend and bring before us Giles Corey, Mary Warren of Salem Farms, and Abigail Hobbs, the daughter of William Hobbs, of the town of Topsfield, and Bridget Bishop, the wife of Edward Bishop of Salem, tomorrow, about eight of the o'clock in the forenoon, at the house of Lieutenant Nathiel Ingersoll's in Salem Village, in order to their examination relating to the premises above. And here of you are not failed, dated Salem, April 18, 1692, to George Herrick Marshall of the County of Essex, John Hawthorne, Jonathan Corwin, assist. Giles Corey. 
<laughs> You're all hanging in with me. Thank you. It's been one of those mornings. It's a great book. Tongue twisters, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Giles Corey. The Salem Village Meeting House was once again open for all matters pertaining to witchcraft. Area farmers may have found it more and more disadvantageous to attend so many meetings as it was now spring and there was much to do. The grass was growing taller and their scythes sat idle. Blossoming trees foretold the fruit that would come later. Fields had to be cleared, crops planted, and repairs undertaken incurred from the harsh winter's elements. It was becoming fearfully obvious that the witchcraft hysteria was not dying down with the imprisonment of a few people. Tatuba had mentioned nine months, nine names in the devil's book. Surely they were close to finding them all. Samuel Paris and Ezekiel Cheever both sat with quills poised as magistrates Hawthorne and Corwin sat at the bench. Giles Corey, perhaps not as confident now that his wife was in jail, stepped forward. The afflicted were in place, and they took up the wail and accusations as always. Only Elizabeth Hubbard sat down. The examination of Giles Corby. Corey. Giles, Giles, Corey. Oh, hang on. I lost this. Okay. The examination of Giles Corey at the court of Salem Village, held by John Hawthorne and Jonah Corwin, Esquires, April 19, 1692. Giles Corey, you are brought before authority upon high suspicion of sundry acts of witchcraft. Now tell us the truth of this matter. Corey, I hope to the goodness of God I shall, for that matter, I never had no hand in in my life. Age. Which of you have seen this man hurt you? Mary Wolcott, Mercy Lewis, Ann Putnam Jr., and Abigail Williams affirmed he had hurt them. Age. Hath he hurt you too? Speaking to Elizabeth Hubbard. She going to answer was prevented by a fit. Age. Benjamin Gold. Hath he hurt you? Gold. I have seen him several times and been hurt after it. I cannot affirm that it was he. Age. Hath he brought the book to any of you? Mary Walcott, Abigail Williams, and others affirmed he had brought the book to them. Age. Giles Corey, they accuse you or your appearance of hurting them and bringing the book to them. What do you say? What do you hurt? Why do you hurt them? Tell us the truth. Corey. I never did hurt them. Age. It is your appearance hurts them. They charge you. Tell us what you have done. Corey, I've done nothing to damage them. H, have you ever entered into contract with the devil? Corey, I never did. H, what temptations have you had? Corey, I never had temptations in my life. What have you done? What, what have you done without temptations? B, what was the reason, said Goodwife Bibber, that you were frightened in, in the cowhouse? And then the question is, was suddenly seized with a violent fit. Samuel Braybrook, Goodman, Samuel Braybrook, Goodman Bibber, and his daughter testified that he told them this morning that he was frightened in the cowhouse. Corey denied it. H, this was not your appearance, but your person. And you told them so this morning. Why do you deny it? What did you see in the cowhouse? Corey, I never saw nothing but my cattle. Diverse witness, okay, okay, I, you know, I'm just going with what's here. Diverse witness that he told him he was frightened. 
H. Well, what do you say to these witnesses? What was it that frightened you? Corey, I don't know that I ever spoke to them a word in my life. H, tell the truth. What was it frightened you? Corey, I do not know anything that frightened me. All the uh, asterisk. All the afflicted were seized now with fits and trouble with pinches. Then the court ordered his hands to be tied. H, what? Is it not enough to act witchcraft at other times, but must you do it now in the face of authority? Corey, I am a poor creature and cannot help it. Upon the motion of the of his head again, they had their heads and necks. Okay, hang on. Just, oh, man. Okay. Upon the motion of his head again, they had their heads and necks afflicted. Sorry, the screen went weird. H, why do you tell such wicked lies against witnesses that heard you speak after this matter this very morning? Corey, I never saw anything but a black hog. H, you said that you were stopped once in prayer. What stopped you? Corey, I cannot tell you. My wife came towards me and found fault with me for saying, living to God, for, for saying, living to God and dying to sin. H, what was it frightened you in the barn? Corey, I know nothing frightened me there. H, why here are there witnesses that heard you say today? Corey, I do not remember it. Thomas Gold testified that he heard him say that he knew enough against his wife that would do her business. H, what was it that you knew against your wife? Corey, why that of lying to God? Why that of living to God and dying to sin? The marshal and Bibber's daughter confirmed the same, that he said he could not say that he would do his wife's business. Corey, I have said what I can say to that. H, what was that about your ox? I thought he, I thought he was hit. H, what ointment was that? your wife had when she was seized. You said it was ointment she made by Major Guinea's um, direction. He denied it and said she ate and said she had it of Goody Bibber or from her direction. Goody Bibber said it's not like that. It is not like that ointment. You said you, you knew upon your own knowledge that she had it of, <laughs> that she had it of Major Guinea. He denied it. H. Did you not say when you went to the ferry with your wife you would not go over to Boston now, for you should come yourself the next week. Corey, I would not go over because I had I had not money. The marshal testified he said this before. One of his hands was let go and several were afflicted. He held his head on one side, and then the heads of several of the afflicted were held on one side. He drew in his cheeks, and the cheeks of some of the afflicted were sucked in. John Bibber and his wife gave testimony concerning some temptations he had to make away with himself. H. How doth this agree with what you said, that you had no temptations? Corey. I meant temptation to witchcraft. H. If you can give way to self-murder, that will make way to temptation to witchcraft. Note. There was witness, <clears throat> there was witness by several that he said he would make away with himself and charged his death up on his own, on his son. Goody Bibber testified that the said Corey called said Bibber's husband damned devilish rogue. Other vile expressions testified in open court by several others. Salem Village, April 19th, 1692. <clears throat> Mr. Samuel Paris, being desired to take in writing 
the examination of Giles Corey delivered it in. And upon hearing the same and seeing what we did see at the time of his examination, together with the charge of afflicted persons against him, we committed him to their majesty's goal, John Hawthorne. Robert Califf, More Wonders of the Invisible World, London. We're just making sure. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> it's a photo that's not there. Corey was led away, and the young Abigail Hobbs brought in. It was all the quiet in the meeting house when the teenager approached the bar. The usual outcries from the afflicted were absent, strange, as this was a young woman who admitted and bragged about her association with old Nick. Okay, guys, you know what? I'm stopping. It's uh, been an hour of hell <laughs> trying to get through this today. But uh, tomorrow, hopefully, we have a better day. Um, let me close this off real quick. Tomorrow, hopefully, we have a better day. We're back on at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with, uh, who the hell is going to be on? Hang on a second. Let me grab my stuff. It's all down here. I had to move everything because, you know. Ah. Oh, that was a noise, wasn't it? Uh, Lyle Blackburn is going to be with us talking about the Texas Bigfoot. Significance of Texas Bigfoot is that he also talks about, uh, he has a book uh, and, and information about the boggy creature. And I, as a kid, there was a very popular movie that came out. It was in theaters, and I went with my mom and dad. And it's called The Legend of the Boggy Creature, and it impressed me. It impressed me because there was somebody, I don't know if they were in a bathroom or in some room somewhere, and a hairy hand reached, like in a mobile home, and a hairy hand reached through and tried to grab him. So he's going to be on tomorrow to talk about Texas Bigfoot, the boggy creature, and um, other stuff. So I'm real excited about that. So that'll be 6.30 p.m., God willing, tomorrow. <laughs> Everything goes well. And hopefully we won't be switching back and forth between, you know, the phone and the, and, and the computer and all that stuff. And I apologize for that. Act of God, as they call it. I mean, you know, it was one of those things. The guest got sick, and then here I am, you know, trying to do the show, and then boom, the internet goes down. So. It's just, it's just one of those days. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming today. And I guess I'll just do this for fun. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. This might be a good one to share with five of your enemies. <laughs> We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And, uh, yeah, and if you're watching from Facebook and you actually like what I read, please be sure to hit that like button and uh, follow and that would be going for both my page and the uh, California Haunts Ghost event page. If you're watching from from uh, Twitch, same thing. Please like it. Maybe maybe become uh, a follower. If you're watching from YouTube, now I can direct this properly. Let's just go over here. Yeah, see? There's that little ghost right there. Hit that button. Subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It's not only about reading these crazy books. It's about talking, talking ghosts and Bigfoot and Sasquatch and other things with people. So check it out. Okay, well, that being said, I'm done. I've had enough for the night or for the day. I've got other work to do for the show anyway this week, but today's just about capped, and I think I'm going to mix myself a cocktail. Man, that's how I feel like cocktail. Sick drink. Maybe a hot cocoa or something, you know, something to calm my poor shattered nerves for today. But I want to thank you all for coming and putting up with this and sticking with it today. In fact, when I go to do the... Uh, set up for the RSS feed. I have a lot of audio editing to do, obviously. So I'll be doing that right after I get done with the show today. But thank you all for coming and I appreciate it. And I'm going to let you go about your business. Enjoy the rest of your day and I will see you tomorrow 6.30pm Pacific. Have a great day. <laughs>